The fan is better when you're part of it. Call the fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com. Get another win, Ho Hummer against the Phillies at home. Yanks taking care of business against the National League teams. I like the schedule the way that it is without all the division opponents. I hate the fact that we've already seen the Yankees in two series, both against National League teams. Either way, they wipe out the Phillies, who are winless on the year. And you heard Marco talk about it. Gleyber Torres, another productive day. Nice to see Torres getting off to a good start. And Glaber's a guy that should have high expectations put on him. I know they've kind of gone away over the last couple of years, but you forget how good Glaber Torres could actually be. And he has been that for the Yankees so far to start. And he's got to do that because you have, you know, the 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 talk of Glaber, or at least there was talk of Glaber being traded potentially. Remember, this was when Peraza was expected to win the shortstop job and then move Volpe to second base potentially. Either way, Glaber gets an opportunity here as the second baseman, and he's making the most of it so far to start the year. So good for Glaber Torres. The offense you know, beat up on Taiwan Walker a little bit, who didn't have it uh, early on. Walker only lasting four and a third, giving up four runs, and we're familiar with Taiwan Walker watching him with the Mets for the last couple of years. He's okay, but against a good lineup, he could get himself in trouble. Rizzo with a bomb, his first home run of the year. Look, the Yankees, they're doing what they do best. Four games in, the Yankees are mashing home runs. Nestor Cortez was terrific as well through five innings. Again, you're not going to see these guys go deep into games early on. So Cortez, five innings, one run, and maybe more importantly was just his defense, backing up home plate. That was when you knew the game was over, where Cordero airmailed to throw home, and Philadelphia got themselves caught up uh, on the base paths, and Cortez made a nice play backing up home, getting Marsh out at third. Uh, I believe it was Marsh who got uh, nailed at third. And then and in the inning, taking uh, any threat that the Phillies might have had out. And that was really the end of that ball game as far as competitiveness goes, where the Yankees trounced uh, the Phillies, as we said. But Rizzo with a home run as well. Look, Yankees looking pretty good here early on as they try to get their feet here underneath them to start this season, find out what they're going to be. And, you know, minimal impact from Volpe, again, although he was on base a couple times, with uh, with the walks, and you know, fans are going to go nuts waiting for Volpe to do some major damage here. A little bit of a slow start through four games, but Yanks with the power display, and that's what it's all about for them. And that's how they win games here. And really, it's been not that it hasn't been any competition for them, but they've handled the Giants and now Phillies in this game one with relative ease. Domingo Herman will be back on the mound tonight for the Yanks as they uh, will play their fifth game of the year. Again, night game against the Phillies. As for the Mets earlier in the day, you know, it was an ugly performance. One of the ones, one of the rare times you saw a non-competitive Mets game under Buck Showalter. I mean, this team generally did not get blown out and they compete hard through nine innings. That was not the case yesterday where once they gave up that seven spot in the fifth inning, they were kind of toast, or not kind of, they were toast. The offense was never there for the Mets, just three hits all day long. And I know everybody's going to talk about Carrasco, which we will in a minute, but really the offense to me has been a little bit uh, a little bit of a problem. Brandon Nimmo, slow start to the year. Uh, Marte's okay, but he took the collar yesterday. Lindor, slow start uh, to the year. Alonzo, slow start 
to the year. McNeil, slow start. Stop me when I'm McNeil, slow start to the year. Marquette has had one game at least that he you know helped the Mets win single handedly. Um but he hasn't been very good. You know, you look at the Mets offense. They, nobody's doing anything. They had three hits. Two of them were from uh, Guillaume. Luis Guillaume getting the, the two base hits as he got the start for Eduardo Escobar. So the Mets offense not looking good early on this year. And while they were productive as far as the series goes in Florida, winning three games out of the four from the Marlins, overall, those to me would be things that you start to look at and be a little concerning. Because, And again, I know it's a very small sample size. Don't get me wrong. But it would be a little concerning because to have none of those guys going is, you know, they cannot win. They're not built to win without Lindor and Alonzo producing at a high level. And both those guys are struggling very mightily to start the year. And that's a problem. And you're going to need those guys to pick it up at some point. Now, you know, the next two games, they have Scherzer on the mound tonight, which will be helpful in Milwaukee, and they need Max to be dominant more so than what he was in the first start of the year. But remember, the Mets didn't lose series last year pretty much at all. I forget when they lost their first series, but it was a while. Remember before they lost their first series and already are in danger of doing that right out of the gate here in Milwaukee after taking three or four from Miami, now potentially losing two of three. Um, you know, they have to win these next two to make sure they secure the series from the Brewers before returning home for the home opener on Thursday. One of the things that stood out from the game yesterday, aside from the Mets not being able to hit, and aside from uh, Carlos Carrasco getting lit up. And look, with Carrasco, it is concerns that I would have anyway coming into the year, but then after that performance, there are concerns. But the pitch clock was an issue. Right out of the game with Carrasco. first Before he even threw his first pitch of the game, a violation was called on him. And then he goes out there and was not very effective through his four innings, allowing the five earned runs, and got hit pretty hard. And then talked about it afterwards, saying he's got to get used to the pitch clock and the pace of the game to where he was fatigued by it. That's a problem. And it is something that we haven't really talked about. We're talking about the pace of play and the time of play with the new rule changes. But as far as pitchers potentially being winded or needing to build up stamina, you know, that for a veteran guy like Carrasco, that is telling. And I don't know, you know, how long that would take to get acclimated and adjust and build up stamina. And maybe that's something we'll see early on. And then after, a, you know, a few starts, maybe it starts to get corrected. But that's a problem. And you also had Mark Canna talking about how and you get called out on strikes due to a pitch violation or a batter violation with a, uh, with a pitch clock in the ninth inning. And he was talking about how he usually looks at the velocity on the scoreboard. And he was waiting for the velocity to come up before he got in the batter's box. By the time that happened, it was down to five seconds on the pitch clock. And he got the violation. Well, guess what, Mark? You can't sit there and stand at the vo- uh, vo- stare at the velocity anymore when you have the pitch clock. Get in the box. You got to go hit. And it's not just those two, but the Mets have been impacted here to a certain extent by the pitch clock. It's something that everybody's going to have to get used to. But there is going to be an adjustment period. And there's no doubt that the games are moving along a lot quicker than they were you know, a year ago with the addition of now the, the pitch clock. And I do like the other rules as far as um, baseball goes with the um, you know the, the base stealing or the banning of the shift. You're seeing more defense and... 
seeing high singles, all that stuff seems to be pretty good. But the but the pitch clock and the pitchers now having to build up some stamina, or at least Carlos Carrasco, well, that could be an issue. Tommy Hunter came in and was gasoline on the fire for the Mets. He gave up five runs basically immediately as he came in. Look, Hunter's one of those guys who shouldn't be on a major league roster, so I'm not trying to pick on him, but you know what it is. When Hunter's in the game, it's a give-up game. He'll be on the roster for a little bit, and then when the games get important down the stretch, you know the Mets are going to have to improve that bull club and the bullpen, and Tommy Hunter is not going to be there, you wouldn't think. Um, but anyway, Carrasco got lit up, and the first time through the rotation for the Mets overall, and like we said, we'll see Herman tonight for the Yankees, and that'll be their first time through. Overall for the Mets, it was okay. Senga was good outside of a shaky first inning. McGill, okay. Peterson, okay. Scherzer, okay. Carrasco, bad. And three and two is not the worst thing in the world, but now they got to go out there and win two from the Brewers. But just a a drubbing at the hands of Milwaukee for the Mets. And there have to be at least some concerns. And look, this team is good. I mean, we talked about it yesterday, coming off of the weekend. You forget how good the Mets are as a team. But then you watch them perform like that offensively, and you remember, you know what, they need a bat. Because they're so heavily reliant on the main guys. And I don't know what the problem is yesterday, but you know nobody getting a hit basically outside of Guillaume. It was just Daniel Vogelback who had the hit outside of Guillaume. That just can't happen. And you can't use the excuse of, well, early April and the pitchers are ahead of the hitters. Yeah, maybe to a certain extent, but we're talking about a ball game that was being played indoors in comfortable temperature. You know, you got guys like Lindor, Alonzo, McNeil who are competing in the WBC as, you know, whatever worth you think that may have. You know, they talk about getting ready for the season and you know Lindor has, is hitting a buck 43 so far, Alonzo hitting a buck 67 so far through the first 5 games now. You know, those are issues. Those guys, you saw Mark Canna carry the team for a game. You've seen Narvaez contribute You've seen Nimmo, Marte contribute a little bit. Alonzo and Lindor have to have their games to start picking up uh, this ball club. But so far, you know, the Yankees 3-1 and one through their first game, four games. The Mets 3-2 and two through their first five. I still think you're looking at pretty much what you expected to see with these ball clubs. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this about Carrasco. He's going to be the first guy out of that rotation. I just feel it. Whereas you get Verlander back, you know, and I know that maybe he's you know, he obviously he doesn't have options at this point in his career, and maybe somebody like Tyler McGill, you figure you send him down. But as far as being the best pitcher in that rotation or the better pitchers in that rotation, I think Carrasco is the one I trust the least right now. Sad to say, but it may be lights out for him. And remember, this is not just one bad start. I know we had a great stretch of games last year. But he hasn't been very good now, and, and, you know, consistently since he's been a Met. Hurt, and then he came back, and he wasn't performing in the first year. And then, you know, last year, um, up and down. More good than bad, I would say, during that great stretch. But still, toward the end, didn't really trust Carrasco. And now this, you know, coming off of spring where he didn't look that good, and a matter of fact, the last time he actually was on the mound before yesterday was the spring game that I was at on March 17th. I couldn't believe that. I heard them talking about that on the radio as I was driving in. Maybe that's just part of you know the struggles with Carrasco. He's got to get more work. But I, I just I'm getting the feeling that 
put it this way, maybe he won't be the first guy out. He's not going to last this entire year in that rotation. Assuming that other guys stay healthy or get back healthy, Scherzer, Verlander, Kodai, Senga, I don't believe, you know, and then obviously Peterson competing, I don't believe Carrasco is going to be here um, in that rotation all year long. Maybe they transition him to a bullpen spot and he takes over for, say, Tommy Hunter. I'm not sure what the end game here is with Carrasco, and I'm not trying to write him off after one start, but you just feel like you can't trust him. You can't go out there and have this guy take it a pounding every fifth day. I don't care if he's fifth starter or not. He's got to be able to go out there and be competitive, and there were some alarming signs in that performance yesterday, mainly the idea that he needs to build up stamina for the pitch clock. Anyway, 877-337-6666. How you feeling about the baseball teams concerned with the Mets and they're getting pasted at the hands of the Brewers? 10-zip. How you feeling about the Yanks? Pretty good with the Yanks playing long. See how the Yankees are doing it? Through the first four games, it's Judge, it's Stanton, it's LeMayu, it's Glaber, it's Rizzo. At least it may not be consistent with everybody, but at least you're seeing productivity from different players night in, night out. That's how the best offenses work, where on a night where you know John Carlo goes hitless, Glaber Torres can pick him up. Aaron Judge has been consistent through look at the difference. And again, I know it's a very, very small sample size, but look at what the Mets' batting average is for some of their top guys. We mentioned, you know, the buck sixty-seven or buck forty-three versus the Yankees. Judge hitting four twelve, Rizzo three thirty-three, Torres three thirty-three, Lemayhu three oh eight. You know, the Yankees' offense is there early on. The Mets is not. Sound familiar? 877-337-6666. UConn wins the national championship in, in what was kind of a dominant tournament run for them. Uh, really another non-competitive game for them, large lead. No surprise at this point that they were going to, you know, weeks ago, you kind of got the feel that UConn was by far the best team, and they showed that. I'm more concerned or more excited about what that's going to mean for the Big East moving forward, especially now when you factor in Patino and St. John's, maybe setting up a nice battle there between the two and kind of, I don't know, reinvigorate Big East basketball and and in this town and get people excited uh, about uh, about St. John's and, and maybe UConn moving forward. But anyway, congrats to Hurley and the Huskies as they get uh, their fifth national title running through the national tournament uh, in uh, – thrilling fashion really just uh crushing um their opponents throughout so congrats to them and you know look we're getting ready here for playoff runs by the locals knicks rangers and we wait to finish out the regular season for both those teams and get set for the postseason and we're waiting on that and obviously the health of julius randall is a big factor there but um, you have that to look forward to as well, whether you're a Knicks or Rangers fan. Obviously, the Islanders, Devils will be in there as well, the Nets. So a lot going on over the course of the next couple of weeks. You got the draft to look forward to that's happening uh, you know, in April. So a lot to discuss. But the baseball with the Mets and the Yankees getting their seasons underway, how are you feeling about each club so far? 877-337-6666. Your call is on the other side. Sal Licata on the fan. When this happened, you talked about it on the fan. Santana into the windup. The payoff pitch on the way. Swung out and missed. Strike three. He's done it. Johan Santana has pitched a no-hitter. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. 
Kata back on the fan. 877-337-6666 is the number to call talking Yanks and Mets. Start things off. The pitch clock is really, it's not a problem, but it is impacting the game in a significant way. When you have to figure out a way to build up stamina, and think about that with older pitchers where they're now being put in a spot where they're, their feel for the game, their timing is off. They're pitching now more frequently. You know, the the getting in shape is going to be different, and routines have been set throughout these guys' entire lives or careers. So it is an adjustment period, no doubt. And you wonder, too, if that's an impact. Think about it. We're on, I mean, this, this is game five of the season for the Mets. It'll be game six tonight. Yankees playing game five tonight. This is April 4th. I mean, if you're feeling the effects of the pitch clock now as far as stamina goes, what's that going to look like in two months, in three months? What's it going to look like in September with the pitch clock? And how are guys going to get themselves in shape or remain in shape? These are are potential problems that big league clubs are going to have with getting their pitchers adjusted and acclimated. Now, I mean, look, they're pros, and it shouldn't take that long, and they knew that this was you know, going to happen here. But you, you definitely worry about it, and especially with an older staff like the Mets. You know, how come Carrasco is the one guy who's like, oh, yeah, you know what, I was kind of winded. He didn't say, you know, I'm uh, paraphrasing here, he didn't say he was winded, but Nestor Cortez didn't seem to have any problem with it. You know, Garrett Cole hasn't had a problem with it. Johnny Brito didn't seem to have a problem with it. Well, what's the issue with Carrasco? You know, we'll see how it is with everybody. And maybe some guys have a little bit of a problem with it but aren't saying anything. But, you know, we're going to see as the season evolves here what type of impact it's going to have uh, on these pitchers. But it's something that I did not think about. We talk about the pace of play, of course, and the game feeling rushed, which I think it does feel rushed and a lot of media members are in love with this of course and I told you because personally for media members work-wise it's great where you don't have to sit there all night and watch a you know four-hour baseball game now the games wrap up in two and a half hours and that's it everybody goes home you're talking about shaving off at least an hour maybe two hours at times of their workday so you, you you know just remember where the sources when you get the idea about the pitch clock being great for baseball. Now, again, I do think that ultimately it's going to be good for the game. you got to remember, though, it's for fans that aren't necessarily locked in or haven't been fans of the sport the way that we have, you know, growing up our entire lives watching it. It's for maybe new fans or younger fans with the pace and the quickness of the the play and, and the length of these games to get a different audience involved, a younger audience involved. And for that, maybe it'll be working. But for us who have gotten so used to baseball being a timeless sport and games taking three hours, three and a half hours, four hours on occasion, especially Yankee games. Think about it. The Yankees and Red Sox games, oh, my God. They used to go on for four. Four hours seemed the norm for those games. You might have been happy when a game wrapped up in four hours with the way that, um, you know, those two teams would play those ridiculously long games and usually sloppily played games as well. But yesterday you get a game, a 10-0 game, a dreadful baseball game, a non-competitive game, 
And usually those games, a poorly played bad game like that, 10-zip, that would take at least three hours, three and a half hours. It took two hours and 40 minutes. So these games are definitely moving right along. And it impacts us as fans, whether we go to the games. And even like just looking at the game this weekend, where I'm trying to think about uh, potentially going to one of the Met games over the course of this weekend, most likely Saturday if I do go, because Sunday is Easter. And you look at what, you know, what time you would have. You know, my my wife looks at it, not me. I mean, I couldn't care less. I'll see you later. What time's the game in? Who knows? It's timeless sport. See you in five hours. But now I look at it saying, hey, you know what? If I go, I'll only be gone for a couple hours anyway. Even if the game took two and a half hours, you know, I'd be back home and it'd take total, you know, three and a half hours. It's actually not that bad. Similar to when you go to a hockey game or basketball game. But again, that's me with something else to do as opposed to me, the young fan who used to love going to the games and just wanted to be there forever. We had a caller talk yesterday, call up and talk about how it takes a lot to get his family ready. You're spending the money for the tickets. You're getting in the car. You're driving an hour and a half. You don't want to be rushed throughout the game, going to the game. Two and a half hours, you spend you know, a half hour on the Shake Shack line before you get back to your seat. It's the fifth inning. That's how, I mean, these games are, are buzzing right along. Anyway, forget about from the fan standpoint for a second. You talk about it from the player standpoint. And, you know, the, the Mets are going to have to figure it out with Carlos Carrasco in particular here. And the way that their start to the season has gone with Verlander getting hurt, with Quintana being out, you know, they, they're relying on Carrasco to be a trusted veteran arm that can go out there every fifth day and just kind of bring stability to the back end of that rotation. Again, it's one start, one time through for the Mets, but there were signs last year that this is possible from Carrasco. And now to see it play out like that, it's disappointing or at the very least alarming with the Mets and their rotation. And it it's even more heightened the fact that they, the Mets, don't have a good enough offensive team at the moment. They're solid, and when they're going well, you know, when everybody in that lineup is at their peak, yeah, the Mets can score some runs. Alonzo mashing and Lindor being productive, but when they're not, and they haven't been, Alonzo and Lindor in particular, even McNeil. Outside of what the first game, you know, where McNeil is proven to be clutch and putting a bat on the ball, you know, McNeil not going early on either. So again, it's been just a few games, but it can the the Mets don't have the bats the way the Yankees do to where it's one guy with one swing like Glaber, like Rizzo, or Stanton or Judge, where they can break open a game. They don't have that guy. They got it from Tommy Pham on Sunday. I mean, that's not going to be a consistent thing. You know, Mark Canna uh, has produced it for a game. All right, so the Mets have had Tommy Pham and, and Mark Canna win two of their games so far this year. Well, the other guy's got to get it going where, you know, the Yanks, any given night, would you be surprised tonight if the Yanks go out there and it's John Carlos Stanton or uh, Aaron Judge or... Um, any one of the other guys that didn't homer 
The only guy maybe you wouldn't expect it from is like Aaron Hicks or somebody like that. And good to see Hicks getting in the lineup last night. Think about that. The Yankees trying to work everybody in. Hicks, of all people, complaining about not getting playing time yesterday. And he finally gets the start and goes 0 for 3 with a strikeout. And he did walk. But, you know, Hicks talking about how he wants to play. He doesn't know his role. Yeah, well, there's a reason for that, Aaron. And the reason is because you've done nothing exactly since you've been here with the Yankees. That's the problem. Well, there's an opportunity for you. I mean, Frenchy Cordero getting a start in the outfield. That means Aaron Hicks could be getting some playing time. The Yankees uh, valuing what Cabrera could do more so than Hicks because they believe in Cabrera moving forward, where Hicks is, you know, at the end here. At some point, they're going to have to make a decision, and if Hicks is unhappy and the Yankees are just having him on the bench, but he's not necessarily a bench player, well, then maybe they move on from Aaron Hicks. But how about the audacity from Aaron Hicks complaining about not getting opportunity uh, to start? And when he does get the opportunity, he goes over. Anyway, the Yan- and, and I could understand his frustration because you have IKF getting a start in center field before Aaron Hicks. And I guess that's going to be a thing for the Yankees. You know, we look at the Yankees, and I heard Keith talking about this toward the end of his show, as far as these rosters, are they being are they built right now for teams to go out there and win a championship with the Yankees and the Mets? The answer is no, they're not. And I, I agree with him on that. But you look at the Yankees here, and we mentioned the Mets, what, what their issues are. You look at the Yankees. This is not a typical Yankee-like team where you have Aaron Hicks being involved, uh, Frenchie Cordero being involved, IKF being involved in the outfield mix. I mean, what is going on here? Yanks need an outfielder. And we're not talking about or making a big deal about just some of their bench getting an opportunity to start. But Cordero, really? And IKF happened to be moved to center field. See, that just shows you how miserable of a deal that was, where they took a gold glove third baseman, put him at shortstop last year, failed experiment, and now there's no room on the infield, and IKF has to be moved to center field to get his at-bats. One other thing, too, that you have to be careful with, with the Yankees from their perspective, is Volpe, because Volpe hasn't done anything. I mean, he hasn't really had time to do anything. It's been four games. But the hype machine is out of control. And I don't think it's doing the kid himself any favors. The pressure is going to be there because of the comparisons to Jeter and all the hype and the fans just love him. And I get why the fans want to love Anthony Volpe, a young, uh, homegrown talent, local kid. Of course, we know everything about his entire history. now. We basically know everything there is to know about Anthony Volpe, except for the fact that can he be a major league player or not? And we're going to learn that. We're going to find that out. But we know everything else about him. Is he going to be a big leaguer, though? Who knows? Now, again, I like Volpe, and I do think his game will translate. You're seeing some solid defense now, starting to take control in that infield You know, last night defensively. Offensively, there's not going to be a ton of pressure put on him outside of the fans wanting to see him perform. But that's why he's hitting ninth by design. I mean, the Yankees are no fools. They know what they're doing trying to take some pressure off of him. We see Volpe could steal some bases. We see he can you know, draw some walks. But just be careful with the pressure that you know the fan base does put on a kid because whether the Yankees hit him ninth or not, he knows 
the hype. Volpe hears it. He knows the excitement. And then when you start to get off to a slow start, I think it's human nature to potentially doubt yourself for a little bit. And you just hope that that doesn't cause some sort of a, a prolonged funk for Volpe. You want to see him get going. And look, I always love players that go through adversity. So maybe he has a little adversity to start the year and struggles offensively a little bit before picking it up and becoming an impact player. But you know, the Yankee lineup is not deep. It's powerful, but it's not very deep. The fact that Torres has been contributing early on, that is a huge, huge plus. You know what Judge and Stanton and Rizzo are going to bring as far as the power goes. LeMayu getting it going early on as he's contributing atop that lineup. You you can rely on those guys. And plus the Yankees playing at home. It's just their offense, in particular at home, it seems like they do what they did last night regularly. But there are still some concerns there for the Yankees. It's not just about their win-loss record, which is good to start the year 3-1. and one. And how about the Phillies? Ofer on the season. Philadelphia Phillies, the National League champions, the only winless team in Major League Baseball. 0 for 4 so far as they're in the basement in the NL East. And then two other things jump out, the two undefeated teams. You have the Phillies who have not had a win at 0 and 4, and then you have the two undefeated teams, the Twins and the Rays. Man, the Rays. How do they do it every year? 4-0. Connor is calling from South Jersey. What's up, Connor? Hey, what's going on, Kyle? How you doing? How are you, Connor? I'm doing well. Um... Yeah, I just want to chime in. I, I called last night. I really enjoyed the show, so I uh, wanted to stop back once more. And like you said, I think you made a great point about Volpe and managing expectations. Um, and it's something that's going to, I think, be key in having him be, um, I mean, a piece of longevity for this team for the entire year. I mean, because it's basically, I mean, opening day, I mean, I'm sure you saw the uh, the tape and stuff like that. He got this second loudest cheers besides Judge. I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, yeah, and so, I get I get the excitement, Connor, but he hasn't done anything. So no, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. But he the Yankees he still faces and stuff. He's he's at least brought a different type of energy that the Yankees haven't had in at least a couple of seasons. Wouldn't you agree? That I understand, and I know the Yankees fans are because I've been giving this a lot of thought. The Yankees fans are smart enough to realize what Volpe can be what difference he can make especially when you know it, it matters most let's say in October where he's a ball player he's gonna play solid defense gonna get on base gonna steal some bases put the bat on the ball those are all great things but it is about managing expectations early on and he's got to have some success I don't care how confident you are and whatever it is that you do you can never be truly confident until you experience some level of of success and it's not a knock on Volpe he just hasn't had it yet because he hasn't had a time the time to do so he's had limited opportunity in AAA and now he's you know played you know four games in the bigs so before we anoint him and I know the crowd goes nuts for him like you said the second loudest ovation behind Judge that we've got to just be careful here with managing expectations for Volpe yeah definitely I completely agree um and another point I wanted to bring up just real quick uh you had said it previously about Glaber Torres getting out to a hot start. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people last year when, you mean, they took in the offseason wanted Glaber not on the baseball team uh, for this upcoming season. Obviously, like you said, four games in, uh, obviously minute sample size. But 
say we come to trade deadline time and the pitching still isn't really ramped back up to what we expected it to be, is Glaber somebody that the Yankees could look to move for a big-time arm? I wouldn't myself. I mean, he is somebody. I, I think it depends on how Volpe is playing, uh, what the rest of the infield is looking like, whether it's LeMayhew or Donaldson as far as health and production goes, and maybe how Peraza is doing in the minors. Yeah. Because remember, they have Peraza that they could bring up, and you could move Volpe to second, let's say, or maybe move um, you know, Peraza to have him play third. However they want to reconfigure or configure that infield, they could do so in the event that they felt they wanted to trade Glaber Torres. I'll tell you, though, Connor, I'd be careful with that because I, I said it last year when fans were calling early in the year talking about, oh, they're going to trade Glaber. I was like, are you out of your mind? There's no You can't trade Glaber Torres. And he wasn't great last year, but yep. he still got the potential to be great. And where Torres is looking like right now to be an impact difference-making bat, all of a sudden, you look at him differently in that lineup and how that lineup looks with him being that type of player. I would not be quick to give up on Glaber Torres at all, so I wouldn't be looking to move him. Yeah, he's still he's still really young too. He's only in his mid twenties. Um, you know, yeah. he came up so young and obviously had the great you know I mean, rookie season when him and Duhar were basically uh, you know in terrors in that lineup and kind of obviously underperformed since then, but. It's, a, it's it's nice seeing him hit the ball the other way. When he's going the other way, he's a really good hitter. Excellent point. It is fun to watch, and thank you, Connor, for taking the time to call in for the kind words. You get back to us. Excellent point. Watching Glaber Torres when he goes to right center field is a thing of beauty. That's when he is going well. I mean, you look at Glaber and his career trajectory. This dude was an all-star his first two years in the bigs. His second year in 2019, he had 38 homers and drove in 90 runs. I mean, that's what you wanted. And remember, the Yankees messing around with him at shortstop. You know, that's not something that uh, that they should be proud of. The Yankees just continue to butcher shortstop. Hopefully, they finally found it with Volpe and just leave him alone there. But you know, it was one mistake after another. Anyway, Glaber, at age 21 and age 22 in his first two years in the bigs, was an all-star. Then the pandemic hit, and that was kind of the beginning of the end for Glaber as we knew it. He was dreadful during that season. The following year, he was worse in 100 and almost 30 games. Glaber hit just nine homers and drove in 51 runs. And the average has been kind of consistent, although you know, I guess at his peak year in 2019, he was 278, which is oh, uh, about, you know, 30 points, uh, yeah, about to, uh, 10 points higher. And what am I talking about? 30 points higher. I was saying 280 versus 260, almost 20 points higher. But his career average right now is 265. So um, you look at what Glaber was doing. Yeah, the on base has been similar, I guess. On base percentage has been similar. The slugging, which was way up in that 2019 season, that's been the big difference. And last year, you got the slugging back up a little bit to 450. The on base, though, was down. The average down a little bit. No, twenty four seventy six, not bad, especially when you talk about from a second baseman. But Glaber's a guy that, you know, he's off to a nice start as we mentioned this year. Glaber is a guy that, if he even last year in one hundred and forty games with those numbers, that's not terrible. Not where we thought we were going with Glaber Torres. Talking about one of the bright young stars in the big leagues, but 
you 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 probably take what you got last year, but I think he's got more in there. And right now, and again, four games or whatever it's been for Glaber, but right now he would project better, more so to what he did in 2019. And you're right, he is just a young player. He's 26 years old. 26. Just starting to come into what should be the prime of his career, 27, 28, you know, into your late 20s, early 30s. There's no way I'm giving up on Gleyber Torres if I'm the Yankees. Can't trade him. I wouldn't have done it before, even though I was down on him. You know, he's a little bit of a a problem as he'll be a free agent uh, in 2025. He's a little bit of a problem as far as the disappointment toward or the results in accordance with the expectation. So it's been disappointing, right? Because the expectations were sky high for him coming off of those first two years. So it's been a little disappointing since then. But last year was a nice bounce back year. And so far, the start he's on this year, I think we might be seeing the return of Glaber Torres to what he was back in 2019 more so than a player that is going in the wrong direction for his career. I think you're about to see the uptick for Glaber, and that could be a difference. Maybe the difference for this team, especially come postseason. Look at it. The guys who are going to help the Yankees in the playoffs, if the power bats go cold and strike out a ton, meaning Judge, Rizzo, Stanton, and there's a lot of strikeouts to be had there. I mean, a lot of homers too, but a lot of strikeouts. The guys that should be able to make a difference are guys like LeMayu. Guys like Glaber Torres, and maybe that's his biggest downfall is that he hasn't been that impact bat in the postseason. LeMayu, Glaber, potentially Volpe. Well, that's where the Yankees could have success in the playoffs, getting guys like that going. Your official station to talk Giants. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. Download it today. Salakata back on the fan, 877-337-6666. Baseball is back, and the push for the postseason is on for hockey and hoops. Make it all count this spring with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the best wagering app around with a direct line of experienced bookmakers behind the counter in Las Vegas. Plus, get a $250 bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager in the same day. Don't let spring pass you by without winning money with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We'll get into some of the women's college hoop stuff. I saw a a story yesterday that's just, I mean, it's getting ridiculous now. This world, I I really can't take it anymore with some of the stuff that goes on. Anyway, we'll get into that coming up in a little bit. Your calls uh, until the top of the hour with Marco uh, when he'll uh, get us updated in a little bit. Ken is calling from Queens. What's up, Ken? How you doing, Sal? Good, Ken. How are you? Okay, before I forget, I'm just wondering, the guy the Mets picked up on the Rule 5, Zach Green from the Yankees, is he still on the team or they sent him back to the Yankees? Uh, I don't know. You're talking about on the 40, man? Let's see here. No, he would be. He would have to be on the team now because if he's not, then he would, they would have sent him back to the Yankees. Uh, I don't believe that he is, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, uh, if you can check and I'll be yeah. listening, let me know during the show. Yeah, would you say Zach Green? I haven't seen him. 
Yeah, Zach Green, he's a roof five. Yeah, I don't the- I don't see him I don't see him right now on the Mets roster here on the current forty man. Hmm. Huh. Maybe they gave him back to the Yankees. They would have had to give him back to the Yankees then unless he's injured. Hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know. I remember the name, but I'm not sure exactly what's going on with them. But anyway, go ahead, Ken. Right. Okay, now on the Knicks, Sal, you know. Knicks. I've never been a, I, on, uh, before I touch on the Mets, let me just say one thing about the Knicks. I've never been a Julius Randle fan. I know in the playoffs, this guy's going to get exposed one two games he might cost the Knicks. Isn't it beautiful to see the last couple of games how this He no did by the way he did go back to the, the Yankees. The he huh? he did go back to the Yankees. I'm just looking at it. Now this is according to March 14th. The Mets sent Zach Green back to the Yankees after he cleared oh. waivers. So there you go. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, so uh, Randall Now I we mean, could all sleep. I, I feel sorry because the guy, you know, I know he has mental problems something going on between the lines there and I feel for him and I hope he gets that straight now but right now no matter what they do in the playoffs I sell high on Julius Randle him and Barrett Sal they gotta go I just I see no future with any of these two guys and I'm so glad we did not give up on Grimes or quickly because the Kentucky coach when they drafted quickly, he said, you're going to love this kid. He's going to mm-hmm. become a star. And sure enough, I think this guy is going to be a star in the, in the NBA. I agree. I agree with half of what you said there, Ken. I'm not going to uh-huh. rip on. I, I mean, I know what you meant to say about Julius Randle. Look, who knows? Wh- wh- I mean, where are you getting these get mental health problems from? You're just talking about his anger outbursts? Where are you getting this from? Yeah. Come on. You know, Sal, you don't think at one point a guy like that I mean, God forbid he takes it out domestically on his wife or. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Ken, Ken, you. Ken, but you're, you're, I mean, come on, how could you make those accusations or assumptions? You because can't do I that. Know people that have had anger management. But you don't know, you don't know anything about Julius Randle. You see his temper get going sometimes I on the know, basketball but court. Once a guy has a temper tantrum, believe me, Sal, there's something going up and going on in the head. Well, that is not true. Now. I mean, that, no, it's a, I can know, you can't I've just make. through it, so. Okay, know, but I that's, know. but that's you, and I understand that that's you. You can't just say, I generally make those accusations. So what? Because I flipped out and threw my headphones? the other day and yelled at a caller that no, that means I'm, I'm, no, I'm everyone has it once in a while but come on Sal this has been going on you know it seems to be a pattern which I think is only going to get worse but yeah but you can't you, you don't know what it, it could just be frustration on the court and by the way the guy's been an all-star he's been an all-star when so you I can't... see him go towards quickly and he push quickly away like that that's a concern that's a red flag in my head Okay. That's yeah. all I'm gonna say. I mean, I, I look. I'm not. I'm not saying that it's the the way he's behaved on the floor in a public setting has been perfect all the time or has been ideal. You know, that was a, a weird spot with Emmanuel quickly, and I know most fans didn't take liking to Julius Randle doing that, and he's got to be under yeah. better control. But I mean, let's not you know speculate as to what could or might be happening. Know, behind closed doors or off the court. I mean, that's that's a whole nother level, Ken, that you can't do. Right. Now, you want to talk about Randall as far as you don't want him on the Knicks moving forward. Different argument, but what I will say is the guy's been an all-star. Two out of three years now, he's been an all-star player, and I get why you're saying you don't want that, but where are you replacing that type of production that you would be uh-huh. missing if, if, if Julius Randall wasn't here? We trade him. I think Dallas would love to have him because he is from Dallas. He always plays great. 
when he's in Dallas. I think they would take him. There's quite a few teams. I don't know about Barrett because of the salary the Knicks gave him. But these two guys, Barrett, like you said, is inconsistent. I just can't take that. And Randall, like I just said, I, I think they should sell high on him and move him in the offseason. I mean, that's my opinion, and uh, I'm sure there's right. other and then, fans feel the same way. And that's way. fine. And that's fine, Ken, and thank you for the call. And that's fine that you want to move on from those guys. And even with R.J. Barrett, who I don't love, where are you getting – what what are you getting back for R.J. Barrett that's going to be as good or potentially better? Or even what are you going to do with that money? Where, where's the player? If you, I, I need to know what the deal is. Where's the player you're bringing back that's going to be as good or better? You want to talk about different? Okay, so you get a guy that's not going to be as physical as R.J. Barrett or attack the rim the way he does, but a better shooter. And maybe that fits what the Knicks do better. Okay, fine. Where is that player? Who's that guy? You can't just say, well, Barrett and Randall aren't getting it done. They need to move them. Well, yeah, they do, but they need to upgrade. You can't just move them and not do any better. You know, and sometimes players like Randall who play with that edge, you know, maybe that they, they, they play better with the chip on their shoulder. And Randall's been a terrific player here. I know there have been some issues with the temper. I know there have been some issues with him turning the ball over in big spots. I know he's not the best shooter. Sometimes he'll act like he, you know, he plays like a guard or a great three-point shooter. He's definitely improved. But I'm not ready to just jettison Julius Randle for nothing. Well, ideally, what you'd like to do is bring in, and I know this sounds great, but it's very difficult to do. You need to bring in a number one star, or at the very least, a number two star to Jalen Brunson's number one. Randall can't be the one or two. That's what you need to do is push those guys down the chain of command. Number one is either going to be whoever they bring in or uh, Jalen Brunson. Number two has to be either Brunson or whoever they bring in. Then you could go Randall and Barrett and Quickly and Grimes and so on. Mickey is calling from the Bronx. Good morning, Mickey. Yo, shout out my man. What's going on? What's up, Mickey? How are you? Not much, pal. You know, like I always say, dude, you and Jerry need to be in the midday, bro. I'm telling you, you need to be on it. Uh, you know, Tiki and Tiani aren't listening right now, but you guys definitely, when you guys get that show going, when you're filling it with Boomer and Geo, man, you guys got it rocking. But Sal, well, we, we, we appreciate uh, we appreciate the kind words. I mean, not to not at anybody's uh, expense yeah, 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 necessarily, yeah, yeah. I but I appreciate the job. kind words. Wanted to yeah. let you know how I, I feel about you and, Thank and you. Jerry. Appreciate it. Uh, how I really feel about you is uh, those disgusting Islander colors you put on <laughs> the other night. How dare you, Sal? The Ranger yeah. fan. You say you are the, the 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 way the way we're going to the playoffs. The way we're playing, and you're going to go to one game. Wait, not just one game. You went to two, and you put on a jersey, Sal. <laughs> How dare I? How, How dare, dare I, Mickey? You went Geo's back. Now you talk to me. Talk to me. How? Like it's not okay. You went with Geo, whatever. You met up with mm -hmm. Sydney, blah blah blah, nephew. Okay, that's mm -hmm. fine. Okay, fun time. What made a New York Ranger go back the second time without anybody I'll tell knowing? You. Like you were. No, it wasn't without anybody knowing. I mean, I talked about it on this radio show many times. What happened was the Islanders invited me and my nephew. My nephew didn't experience it, so I took him. That's it. So you look no further. Oh, he didn't go the what, first time? No. So I was supposed to 
I told oh, the story see, before. Gio well, is for bougie. He didn't tell us that the nephew didn't come the first yeah, time. They know they're lying. That's what they, they were making up the story to make me look bad. What happened was, he, he, initially, let me give you the, the whole story again, Mickey, just so you get it. Initially, what happened was, because it was about a year ago this time, I reached out to Gio for connections Correct. with Rangers tickets. I wanted to take my nephew. I wanted to pay to take my yeah, nephew to Rangers too. Play, well, I wanted to take my nephew to Rangers playoff game, so I was panicking last year that I wasn't going to be able to get playoff tickets. So I said, hey, do you or Boomer know anybody at the Garden that I can buy a playoff strip to? He said Roger no. I, I don't know if he asked Boomer or whatever, but they said no. Then months Roger. later, Gio came back and said, hey, I know you wanted to take your nephew and I couldn't help you. I may have a connection with the Islanders if you want to go. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'd, I'd like to go. Then he got back to me saying it was the owner suite. And I said, well, I'm not going to take my nephew to that because that's like an adult thing. So I went with Gio. That whole night happened. The Islanders obviously heard about it. Then they separately reached out to me and said, hey, if you want to take your nephew, you're more than welcome to come back. That's how that and happened. And that's awesome. And that's awesome of those uh, crappy Islanders. One thing I have to say is is another two more things. Mm -hmm. how, how dare you sit next to the Potman family? <laughs> That is correct, Good Mickey. Job. Good job. Let's go, Rangers. Yeah, Mickey. See, you get it, Mickey. Thank you for the call. That was the first time I had the whistle done to you. I love it. More of that, please. Isn't that crazy? In reality, the Potvin family was actually very nice. Dennis Potvin himself seemed nice. I couldn't believe it. Think about this. I raised my nephew... You know, about a year ago when he really started going to, before last year's regular season, we started. To, I took him to his first Ranger game and all that. And I raised him the way any self-respecting Ranger fan would. I teach him the Potvin sucks chant. It was one of my proudest moments. I've said this before. One of my proudest moments ever was watching my nephew, without my guidance, react to the crowd when he heard the whistle. Just out of nowhere. We're watching the game. Play is happening. The whistle breaks out. And just to me not say anything, just look over at him, watch him go, pop in, sucks. And his little squeaky voice, his little eight-year-old voice at the time. Fast forward to a year later, we're sitting in the Islanders owner suite and Dennis Potvin is sitting right next to my nephew. I was like, Joey, you know who that is? He goes, Potvin. <laughs> yeah, it is. And then Potvin looks at me and he says, hey, I remember you. How you doing? You know, you remember my face. And then they sent us down to the ice with Poppin's family. Poppin stayed up in the box, but I guess we went down with his family. And it couldn't be nicer. Very nice people. But it's just weird how sports work. You have to separate the two sometimes. The reality is, nice family. Nice guy. The fandom, Poppin sucks. And I'll always do that whistle and that chant. Nothing personal. Of course not. But that's how the story happened. You guys get it twisted because Boomer and Geo are, are you know, making stuff up and, and trying to make it like I'm asking for things. I don't want anything. I mean, I'm not going to deny that great experience, and it was tremendous both times. But I'm not asking for it. They asked me to go both times. And just to put the nail in this coffin here, just because I went to a couple of Islanders games and just because they made me my own personal Islanders jersey 
does not necessarily make me an Islanders fan. It was a great experience. I think the Islanders are a first-class organization, run extremely well. They have a beautiful building. They have a solid team. The owner is tremendous, a very nice guy. I'm not, you know, I grew up a Ranger fan. You can't take that out of somebody. You know what I'm saying, Marco? You don't just take that fandom out of somebody. Ah, you're a fraud. Where the hell have you been, by the way? I missed you last week. Well, you, you all right? You out sick a couple of days? I'm fine. I was never sick. See, everything gets twisted. You talk about things getting twisted. I got a phone call late Wednesday night, literally as I'm about to walk out the door to come here, and it was from David, one of our bosses, and said, hey, I'm in a bind. I need someone to cover the morning on the network, but I can't find anybody, but I can find somebody to cover your tonight shift. Can you do me a favor and come in in the morning instead? So me being the team guy that I am, I said, of course. <laughs> So that's why I wasn't here Wednesday night. And then something happened. I had a cover for ACK on Friday. So I just got moved around. I wasn't, I was fine. Uh, I became the the duct tape around here to try to fill a couple of holes. That's all. Uh, okay. I respect it because I was told as I show up, I'm like, where the hell's Marco? They're like, oh, he's sick. I'm like, oh, really? And then the next day, <laughs> next day you're out again. I was like, oh, what's going on here? Like, yeah. I, well, I hope Marco's not that sick. And I hope he didn't get me sick is uh, what I was thinking. No, and I was, you know, I should have probably texted you Wednesday night. I actually thought about it for half a beat. And then I was like, Sal doesn't care if I'm there or not. Um, <laughs> so I was like, well, I mean, what really? Do I really matter that much? I, I'm getting, I'm overstepping here. So I didn't really no. think of it for a second. I thought about it. And then I was like, ah, what the hell? He'll be fine. And he's not going to worry about me not being there. But I, fa- I come back. Everybody keeps telling me, like, where'd you go? I'm like, where'd I go? I came here. I was like, I just had different shifts. I was around in different times. Yeah, I should have probably texted you too. It shows your our relationship. We're at the eh, should I should I text him? Nah, just leave him alone. What's what's the big deal? Because I'm like, is he all right? Like, what the hell? This is so unlike Marco. What, what's going on here? Sick two days in a row. This doesn't make any sense. Now it makes some sense at least. Yeah, I'm, I gotta say, if you would have heard me sick for two days in a row, there would have been more, uh, I guess, story backstory behind that because there would have been something to keep me out of here two days in a row. It's not yeah, like you know, I, I'm not the sniffle guy and stay home. That's not really my role. Right. So, which is why I was thinking, like, oh, what the hell's going on here? How sick is he? So, I th- that was I should have just texted you. You're right. But either way, nice to have you back. Nice to have you back on this shift again, Marco. Oh, we, I'm, 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 assuming th- you're in, I'm thrilled to be here. You're in all week. I'm assuming on this shift <laughs> yeah, until it gets. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm here all week unless to... um, again an emergency happens and they gotta you know. Look, if they came to me, then we know we're at the end of the rope. That was when when David called me. It was basically in a panic. I have no other choice. Can you do this? Because that's where you get to when you when you give a call to me. So I'm going to assume I'm here unless something, you know, the place is on fire again and I have to help out in a different spot. Well, it's good. And it's good to see you again, of course, looking nice in your flannel shirt and your Yankee hat, right? Oh, of course. I mean. Yeah. And, you, of, of course, I'm doing the show from home today, so I'm just guessing that that's what we're going Marco, how'd I do, Marco? What's the outfit today? You got a nice little flannel on in your Yankee hat? I do have a flannel on, yes. It is black and white today, uh, and I do have the Yankee hat on, yeah. I actually was thinking about go. it. I need to get a new Yankee hat. This one's this one's getting a little old. How are you feeling about your Yanks? Off to a nice start. Uh, off to a great start. A couple of guys I'm thrilled with. Glaber Torres looks tremendous because I like the way he's staying back on the ball. Every If he goes right center, I don't care. The results will be there. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care. He's obviously off to a great start, but his swing looks right. I love seeing the Libertura swing, and he needs to play every day. So find that that off day roulette. Keep him out of it. LeMayhew, Donaldson, whatever it is, Glaber needs to find a way at second base or DH to play every day. But I do like what I'm seeing on a lot, a decent amount of guys in the lineup.
it is funny how Glaber just kind of got tossed aside a little bit. Not not literally, obviously, but just like, eh, you know what? Everybody's so excited about the young kids, Peraza, Volpe. Yeah, who's going to be the odd man out? Well, they're not going to move Donaldson because they can't, so why not trade Glaber? And people were okay with it. Even last year, fans talk about trading Glaber. You watch. Now, again, it's early, but he can be an impact difference-making bat for that lineup, and I, I mean, look, to the start he's gotten off to, this shows you why you don't make a, a, a move like that and trade a guy with that type of potential, and luckily the Yankees never did. Sometimes the best trades are the ones you don't make. Who knows how close it was to actually happening? Right. I know it was legitimate, though, that it was a possibility, and you know, the, the good thing is that they didn't make that move because he might be a difference-making bat for them throughout the course of this year, Marco, and yeah. on into uh, the, pl- the postseason. You know I've been saying this since last year when everybody was done with Glaber. I understand. Look, I give him a little bit of a pass. It's not all of a pass. The Yankees screwed him up when they put him at short. They messed up his head because defensively he struggled and he took it to the plate. Now that's his fault because he took his defensive struggles to the plate. That's on the player because you can't do that. However, the Yankees put him in a bad situation and he struggled. Once they got him away from shortstop, put him back at second, now they put him in this you know, this rotation with LeMahieu. And it's slowly but surely coming back. He needs to get back to the player that he was a few years ago. Do I think he's going to be 38, 40 homers every year? No. I think that's asking. I think he kind of set the bar a little too high. But do I think he's a 25 to 30 homer guy every year? Absolutely. And he's not a 240 hitter. He's a guy that can actually be a 270, 280 hitter with 25 to 30 homers out of a second baseman. And everybody got a little too caught up in, let's get rid of this guy. He's part of the glue of what keeps this together. He's also part of the problem that they couldn't get over the top. But if he gets back to normal, that's a big key to this Yankee uh, offense. No doubt he could be a difference maker for him. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.